Hey, welcome to the Rain and Morale podcast. So do you ever feel like screaming out in the office on Zoom or outside the school gates? For the love of God, come on, really? Then if this is you and you're looking for an honest, fun and frank podcast on life and business, then sit back and listen to me, Rain and Morale. I'll be bringing great people on the show to talk, share and debate their life experiences and business challenges. Keeping the show unpolished, but in a fun and unique British style with sarcasm, tenacity, maybe a few swear words or tears. This podcast keeps it real, honest, raw, and removes the bullshit in the only way I know how, through authenticity and getting shit done. Think of it less like the Housewives of New York or TOWIE with the lipo and drama, and more like the house lives of the real world. I hope you'll take something away to be better informed, laugh, smile, or maybe even finally get in the confidence to shout, come on, really. So enjoy. Hi, Hunter. Welcome to the Rain Morale podcast. How are you? Excellent. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. You're just starting your day and I'm just finishing my day here in the UK. Do you want to tell the listeners where you are right now? Sure. I am in unincorporated Boulder County, Colorado. This is a rural part of Colorado, about uh, 40 minutes north of the Denver area, about 10 miles north of Boulder. I've got a ranch. Uh, I'm in my natural capitalism solutions office right now, which is an old farmhouse in uh, the nearest little town. Oh, beautiful. I, I, we, were, we were discussing earlier, I've never actually been there, but um, yeah, it's, t- it's 10 o'clock where you are now and it's uh, just gone five o'clock here. So listen, for, for those listening, I am delighted to have Hunter um, joining us today. Now, um, as way of introduction, formidable lady, but Hunter is the founder and president of Natural Capitalism Solutions, as she just said, this sat in her office. She'd been a consultant to scores of industries um, and governments around the world, including the names of Unilever, Walmart, uh, the UN, um, and the Royal Dutch Shell Company, as well as sustainable um, champions interface with Patagonia and Cliff Bar. You are also the managing uh, partner of Now Partners, and Hunter has briefed heads of state, leaders of hundreds of local governments, uh, the Pentagon, just just drop the mic on that one, um, and uh, across 30 countries around the world, as well as the UN and the World Economic Forum. You are the Chief Impact Officer at Change Finance, and you sit as an executive committee at the Club of Rome, which is how I kind of came about understanding and knowing more about you and the other um, people that I've interviewed in this kind of series of podcasts for Earth of All. I couldn't even begin to list the number of books that you've written or been involved in or articles, so I won't because I want to focus on you and and, and this conversation. You've won dozens of awards and I'm just really privileged that you've agreed to take the time to come and talk to me today. So welcome to the show, Hunter, and thank you. Truly my honour to be here. Amazing. I'm loving the hat as well. I feel I feel underdressed now. <laughs> okay. Cowgirls tend to live under one. Oh, okay. I must get over there. I've got to get over there. Um, so so listen, let's let's dive straight in. So as we were talking kind of off camera earlier, um, the Earth for All book really did something for me in, in terms of connecting dots and 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 making me realize about more about economic history and kind of 
um, solutions to some of the major challenges that we have. And it's not all about climate. So could you first tell the people how you got and why you got involved in the, in the book of Earth for All? <laughs> I got involved with it as I get involved, <laughs> it seems, it, with many things. I got in an argument with one of the lead authors, a man named Paris van Stokness, who uh, is Norwegian. He was over at an what, energy conference, renewable energy conference. And I forget what it was we were arguing about, probably hydrogen, I think, uh, whether or not uh, there's, it's likely to have a hydrogen economy. I, I think that's uh, highly unlikely. He seemed to think there was more chance of it. Anyway, uh, we sat down for, I don't know, two, three hours and chatted. And he said he was embarking on this endeavor with a guy that I've known for many, many years, uh, Jan Randers. Jan was one of the lead authors on the seminal book, Limits to Growth, which came out in 1972. Yeah. The, the lead author, uh, Dana Meadows, Danella Meadows, was a dear friend of mine. Her then-husband, Dennis Meadows, remains a friend of mine. And, and I've known Jan for years and years. So it was interesting. And he, Paraspin said he was thinking about, he and Jan were thinking about, in effect, redoing limits to growth. Mm. Limits was based on a massive computer model that uh, a guy named Jay Forrester at MIT sought to build to understand everything about everything in the world. Now, <laughs> even then, that was impossible. But um, <laughs> they, they poured it in massive, massive amounts of data and then ran a set of assumptions. What if? What if we drive the system the way it's going much, much harder, uh, we crash and burn. Um, what if we tweak it a little bit? We crash and burn. This is 1972. They said the wheels start to come off the enterprise somewhere between around 2015 to 2030. <laughs> Hello, here we are. And much of what we are seeing today, the report that just came out from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC AR5, yeah. <laughs> saying, uh, actually, it's AR6, this last one, saying we have a very, very narrow window to deal with the climate crisis. We are in a climate crisis. Really? No kidding. We're in a climate crisis. It is human made and we can still solve it. But the time is very, very short. Yeah. You look at what's happening from the cyclones that just hit the east coast of Africa to the flooding in, now in, well, California, Arizona, to heat waves across Europe, to a third of Pakistan went underwater last year. Yeah. The fact that now a third of a billion people are starving to death right now today as we speak. I mm. work with a colleague in the World Food Program whose day job is trying to keep those people alive. And... He says, we can, for all the great work that WFP does, we can't get enough money. There isn't enough money. We can't feed all the people in the world that are hungry right now. If climate change is left unchecked, there's no hope. And Bye. then you look at uh, the breakdown of social stability. We live in a time of incredible inequality. Thomas Piketty, in his book, Capital in the 21st Century, 
said, if you look at times of economic collapse, they are preceded by times of incredible inequality. Doctors mm -hmm. uh, Richard Wilkinson, Kate Pickett at Equality Trust in the UK have shown that when you have high levels of inequality, you have more of everything you don't want. Murder, right. suicide, bad health, unhappiness. And if you want more of what you do want, you have to resolve this issue of inequality. So Pariston said they were going to take a crack at updating rebuilding, reconfiguring the big computer model, and then run a set of assumptions. Everybody looked, well, everybody, most people looked at limits to growth and said, all it says is we're all going to die. Yeah, we're all going to die, but not today. And limits had an interesting last scenario. It invented the word sustainability. Right. First use in the English language of that word. And th so they ran a set of assumptions. What if we behave sustainably? Right. There's a soft landing. So Earth for All said, let's bring this up to date. What if we take the best of what's known of how to solve problems in things like how do we supply abundant, affordable energy to everyone on Earth? How do we feed everyone on Earth? How do we reform the economic system so that we deliver well-being, lives of dignity to everyone on earth? And they walked through these different challenges facing the planet and ran it all through the computer model. Surprise, we can make it. Again, time is very short. All yeah. of the science that's now looking at the challenges facing humanity is saying the same thing. Time is very short and we know what to do. Group of us got together a couple of years ago, wrote a book called A Finer Future, Creating an Economy in Service to Life. Found mm -hmm. exactly the same thing. We can solve all of the big problems facing the planet if we implement the best practices that are now available, commercially available, and surprise are more profitable than the way we're doing it now. Absolutely. So this is what I really want to dig in with you. The way I often look at it is some people go, oh, we're going to burn, starve, or what's the point? I can't do anything or we're never going to change. It's always going to be run by the rich. Even in, even in developed Western countries, we, we get that. And people go, oh, it's not real. It's not true. It's all rubbish. When I look at the policies of poverty, inequality, gender equality, food and, and, and energy, well, what if we did do all of those things? Are we going to be in a bad world? No. Are we going to have to be raising billions of dollars for starving, drought-ridden nations? So I just think, what do you think? I mean, I, I think I know the answer, but why do you think there's such a block and there's so many lobbyists and it's 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 kind of windy. we don't want to move. We want business as usual. Outside of short-term thinking, what's stopping us from getting to say this model for Earth for All and just you know living in a in a in a place that truly can be wonderful? It truly can be wonderful. And we know from anecdotal experience that when you implement the solutions that are talked about in Earth for All, 
you personally have a higher quality of life. I know this because that's the life that I live. Well, when I'm not on an airplane going somewhere else to talk to people about these things, I get my energy from the sun. I have a five kilowatt solar system on my ranch. I drive a Leaf, an electric car. It is, by the way, the best performing vehicle I've ever driven, and I turned in a Porsche to buy it. I grow as much as I can of my own food. It is nutrient-dense, and it tastes better. When you pull a carrot yeah. from the garden, it tastes better. We know how to feed everyone on Earth. We know how to provide energy. We know how to deliver to ourselves the services that we want yeah. to get from here to there, to have the services of comfort in our lives, to have the things that we want using things like a circular economy. So it, instead of throwing stuff away, putting it back into the industrial cycle, men named Dr. Marcus Gilles at the time at McKinsey, ran a paper for the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, showed that doing this in Europe would save a trillion dollars a year. So you have the same stuff. Although the more people look at it, the more we realize the more stuff you have, actually the less happy you are because you've got to look after all the stuff. There is yeah. a, a certain amount of stuff that definitely improves your quality of life but after that it gets in the way so yeah it's like a, its own tipping point isn't it there's an equally important agenda dana meadows said we are seeking to meet non-material needs with material things and there's yes. a great cartoon of a woman standing in a glitzy uh, boutique saying what do you recommend to fill that dark empty space in my soul it's called shopping therapy, and it will never work. So one of the things that a lot of people learned in the pandemic, literally, as I was uh, driving my leaf to my little office this morning, there was a radio conversation going about uh, pandemic nostalgia, that in mm. the pandemic, when we were all at home, we experimented with growing our own food. We had family conversations. And they said, yes, horrible things about the pandemic. A lot of people died. Yeah lot of misery, but we slowed down. And this yeah. recognition that, oh, we don't have to run as hard as we do. How do you ensure that people have enough? So there are now conversations around things like guaranteed jobs. This is a proposal by an economist named Dr. Randall Ray, Dr. Stephanie Kelton, who say, what if the government paid local municipalities, NGOs, to hire as many people as they want to do the work that is actually needed in society at a living wage. Yeah. Whatever money you need to have a good quality of life, wherever it is you are, plus health care, child care, yep. retirement, all of the social benefits, what that would do is force corporations to raise their rates to a living wage if they want to compete for the best talent. Everybody who wants one has a job. And the right. people who now don't have care have people who are there to care for them. It's like, whoa. You Why add the that? what we now pay in social well-being programs, you actually cut your costs. 
We know how to power the entire world with renewable energy. Renewables are now everywhere on earth cheaper than fossil energy. Why do we keep using fossil energy? Because you and I and the world's taxpayers subsidize the fossil industries to the tune of $5.9 trillion every year. That's uh, $11 million a minute going to pay the fossil industry to keep doing what it's doing. We subsidize the nuclear industry. We subsidize the frackers. We subsidize a hell of a lot of things we don't want. Why? You mentioned lobbyists. In my country, there's something like 28 lobbyists for every congressperson. They they wouldn't have enough time in a day to meet with them all. And so the vested interests are very good at being organized to keep the system functioning exactly the way it is. And you've said several times, but what can I do? I'm just one person, said 8 billion people. What if we organize? Yeah. No, listen, loads of things there. And actually, COVID is a great example. Um, And I think we all did that and it was brilliant. Um, Actually, I had a bit of a smug time during COVID because actually when people started to work from home, I'd had years of abuse that, oh, it's dead easy and you just chill out all the time. And then they realised the two hours that they were travelling to work and back in the car listening to music was actually working. So actually, I got my own back on many. But we also generated more millionaires um, during that period globally than, than any other time. More billionaires you know, the, too. Billionaires. You know, the number of family offices in Asia rose from 400 pre-pandemic to over 1,000 now um, in a space of three years, right? So I think, how do we, how do we galvanise that 8 million voices without getting to that civil unrest? Because it's, it's bubbling in the Western world as well now. It's bubbling everywhere. Uh, even in China, there, there are lots of riots in China that we don't hear about. There are growing numbers of riots p- pretty much in every country because people are recognizing the system the way it is isn't working. And I think the great risk, I mean, the, <laughs> there are a lot of risks that we face, but the great risk is breakdown of societal order if we do not insist that the system fix itself. And again, we know how to fix it. So it comes down to, do you participate in local politics? Politics is a contact sport. You've got to be in it. Or trust me, somebody else will be with a vested interest that is not your interest. Do you... there There are places on earth where... Citizens can't really vote. So it is on you to exercise your ability to vote. Young people say it doesn't matter. You may have heard of a idiot congressman from Colorado, a gal named Lauren Boebert, uh, getting to be world famous for being an idiot. She won her election by less than 1%. Oh, yeah. If young people who say that they care who say that they want a future. And we are now seeing record high rates of teen suicide, teen drug use, all the signs of people checking out. Yeah. Damn well vote. It matters. Your vote matters. Your voice matters. What you're doing, putting up a podcast. Okay, I don't want to go to all the trouble of doing a podcast. Talk 
to your friends. Every one of us has a circle of something like 20 people who pay attention to what it is we do. And when you change your behavior, they're going to ask you why. Mm. So rather than hail a cab, walk, take public transit. Yeah, it. there's a period in there where you've got to figure out what the routes are and how to do it. I was just in New York City. And oh, when does the bus come? Am I going to get there in time? The, yeah, the, it takes a little bit of effort in the scheme of things. It's, it's nothing. It's nothing. And the more you do it, then the more you do it, the more you realize, oh, I could do this too. I could do that. And then talk about it. Tweet about it. Write about it. Mm-hmm. Use uh, Mastodon. I, when freaking Elon Musk took over Tweet, I quit Twitter and went to Mastodon. And it took an effort. And I've talked to so many people who say, I hate Twitter, but it take time to go to Mastodon. Yeah, well, take a little bit of time. Every day, ask yourself, what's my dot? Do one thing. And yeah. at the end of the day, ask yourself, did I do my dot? doesn't have to be big. You by yourself are not going to change the entire world. But look at all the examples throughout history of just one person who did. Yeah. Greta Thunberg, a Swedish 15-year-old who was clinically depressed. Her parents were very worried about her. And she said, I'm going to do something. Yeah. What do hand scribbled a little sign school strike for climate went sat in front of the parliament every Friday. Now the world around, there are thousands, millions of students who every Friday strike for climate in yeah. what is it, 2019 Greta led 8 million people into the streets worldwide. What skills did she have? None. Well, she did, but did she, she didn't realize it. None. One little Swedish schoolgirl. If she did it, you can do it. Pick what you care about and live a life that shows it. Yeah, you're right. And actually, I've I've just signed up to my first official kind of, it's it's run by Extinction Rebellion, Um, but it's to bring up the first 100,000 people outside the UK Parliament to to enforce systems change. Um, So, you know, the political thing for me is a really interesting one because um, I I always vote um, and I, I put my vote where it's most in, most important. But I think there's such distrust in the political system that I've I've chosen personally to go down the education, the podcast, the the the, the kind of walking the streets and, and telling my circles of friends. I think. I distrust the politicians immensely that I, 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 there's no way I could break down that system. So I've, I've chosen to avoid the political route. Try talking to them. Call them up, make an appointment, call up their appointment secretary, make an appointment and go talk to them. That, by the way, is my dot for today. I need to schedule an appointment with the governor of Colorado. Okay. So I have the card of his appointment secretary. And when we're off this podcast, I'm going to uh, call her up and say, hey, I would like to go have a chat with Jared. Now, I happen to know him personally, knew him before he got elected congressman and then governor. Mm -hmm. 
he was an entrepreneur in Boulder and we'd be at dinners together. We'd chat. So I had a very different opinion of him than most people have of politicians. Yeah. He did things in his life before he ran for office and he just decided running for office is a great way to drive social change. Now myself, yeah. I have actually been an elected official. I really didn't like it. I'm probably right. not going to do that again, but okay. I do recognize every one of them is a human being. Who do exactly. they hear from? Trust me, the other side is really good, really organized at talking to the politicians. So here's your dot. Go That's meet true. the politician. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna absolutely take you up on that. I am gonna add, add that to my and it'll make this. you a great podcast, by the way. Describe what did it, what did, what was it like? How do I do it? How do I contact the person? And then what was the conversation like? Yeah, I will, I will, I will um, do you a deal and I, across the pond, and I will, I will do that um, because you're right. Actually, if if people who care and are disengaged with politics um, then leave the voices that are lobbying or fighting against what we want then of course they're going to win so i i take that board give myself a bit of a slap and i'll i'll i'll, I'll do that for sure <laughs> good um, on you uh no but i think i think anybody listening you know it is you know even as far as greta how she got to be so depressed and down and and i think so many people covid en enabled that sense of well-being and just walking and, and recognizing your community and I think we've all now recognized that our communities are just gone you know our youth centers that I used to go to the the PC that used to clip me around the ear hole in the local village all of these things and you know you know social care that's just disappeared but yet we see billions and trillions of dollars uh, you know even amongst my network I'm, I'm privileged to, to know a lot of people and you think, well, the money's there. The money is there. And exactly what you say, we do have the answers. And I keep saying that to people. It's not like we don't know. It, we have the answers, right? Yes, we do. And again, that's why we wrote the book, uh, A Finer Future, was to start listing down. Take a subject. How do we move yeah. people around? We know how to build vehicles, if what you want is single occupancy vehicles that run on the sun. Mine does. We know how to build pub public transit systems that work. We know how to build buildings that net gain more energy than they expend. We know how to treat water. We know how to provide enough water for all. We know how to feed people. Regenerative agriculture is now suddenly this hot topic. We know how to, using regenerative agriculture, take carbon out of the air and put it back in the soil where it belongs. If we did just regenerative grazing on yeah. the world's grasslands, not cutting down any forests to do any more grazing, just take the existing grasslands, rehabilitate those that have degraded, and did what's called holistic management on these grasslands, over 30 to 60 years time, we would get back to 280 parts per million concentration of CO2. That was the amount of CO2 that existed when humans evolved. The right. Earth 
60 million years ago was at a thousand parts per million concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere. When we evolved, it was 280. Where'd the carbon go? And there've been theories, oh, the Himalayan uplift, I'm not quite sure why that absorbs carbon. Volcanoes, mm, a guy named Greg Ritalik wrote a paper showing that no, what decarbonized the planet before were these little grazing animals, initially pre-horses that were nibbling grass at the edge of the forests. Oh, when the earth was at a thousand parts per million, it was carpeted in forest, which is to say planting more trees is not the answer. Yeah. The little grazing animals, when something eats grass, the roots slough polysaccharide sugars that feeds yeah. the microbiological community in the soil, which mineralizes the carbon. Where you have native prairie grasses, the roots go three meters deep. The carbon goes three meters deep. That's why when the pioneers came across the Great Plains in the United States, they found this 10 feet of thick black soil. That black is carbon. It got there because of the co-evolution of grazing animals and grasslands. So people say, well, I don't want to give up eating meat. Don't. I eat yeah. meat. Ask always for grass fed meat, pasture-raised yeah. chickens, pasture-raised pigs. Take a look at examples like Gabe Brown. Gabe right. was a North Dakota corn soybean commodity farmer who was going broke because he was going broke. He said, I'll try anything. People said, well, first go to no-till, stop breaking the soil, turning it upside down, which decarbonizes, denitrifies it. Then you got to pour a whole bunch of chemicals on it to get the fertility back. Yeah. Go to no-till. He said, uh, okay, how do I get nutrients? Plant cover crops. These are crops yeah. that take nutrients out of the air. <clears throat> so he did. Now his fields are covered in cover crops. How do I plant my corn and soybeans? Turn out the cows. Cows eat down the cover crops, drill seeds, corn, soybeans. He's getting as high yield of corn and soybean and selling eight other crops as well. He's now profitable. Yeah. Will Harris, White Oak Pastures in Bluffton, Georgia, is rebuilding the entire community around regenerative agriculture. Same thing. He does a rotation of cows, pigs, chickens. And you, when you drive to his place through the commodity peanut farming red dirt soil of Georgia, yeah. it's dry. You hit Will's place, there's mist hanging over the fields because the fields have moisture. When you get these heavy rains, they don't just run off and take the topsoil with them. It soaks slowly in. So I, again, I see. you know how to deal with all of these challenges. Oh, and the food is delicious. Listen, I, I've seen an, an incredible example of that in Australia with a farmer and he decided to switch about 20 years ago. And it's the same thing. You do an aerial view of the land and it's just barren. And then you see his land and you're like, wow, he's, his yield, his crops, it is. And you just, you do that, turn the glass of water upside down on the land and you see one that like slowly, you know, sucks it in versus, you know, the, the differences. So, yeah, and, and I guess there's there's the where you get mocked, isn't it, about the nostalgia or you want to go back to the old days. But when we look at indigenous people and we look at ways of farming before we had chemical fertilizers, the knock on impact of 
the nutrients in the food and the water systems. That's that's one of the reasons why I got involved in the non-chemical fertilizer project, because essentially it was it was taking um, rock waste and my, and food waste and, and combining it to make a natural fertilizer. When you look at the blooms of algae and the poison in the rivers and the networks, not just from the chemicals, but from sewerage. Uh, we have a lot of press here in the UK at the moment about that, um, just in terms of sewerage in, in our waterways. Um, again, the answer's there, with billions of tonnes of resource to, to manufacture this stuff. Waste is a resource out of place. And this is this concept of the circular economy and the work of people like uh, Kate Rayworth, who can yeah. put forth donut economics, this idea that we have to be above the human minimums. Everyone deserves a life of dignity, but below the planetary boundaries. That gives you this circular, sweet, regenerative, and just operating space for humanity. So Kate's now doing this work with various cities around the world, helping places like Amsterdam figure out how to become a donut city. Oh, and do you know what? Singapore really... Uh, amazes me in terms of what they're doing um, with with not only their, their, the family offices that are working there, but also what they're doing with their city and really benchmarking it. And I came across a great lady recently who's doing, um, call it sustainable communities or smart cities, um, really looking into how all of that interconnectedness can work from a community point of view, um, you know, innovation in, te- in, in uh, concrete, uh, water provision, all of these things. So again, I've, I've, I've read Kate's book. I've got Kate's book as well. Um, it's really, like, it's really exciting. But how do we shift the big players who are living, you know, on, on kind of economic growth with these billions into this understanding of, of what we can do and to speed that up? What, what can we do? other than, I guess, forced legislation and governance, things like that? You're back to politics, which means we need to be engaged with politics. These changes are actually happening incredibly rapidly. Uh, I've been at this work for enough years that if I were any damn good, we'd have solved these problems. And I am seeing change at a rate I've never seen. So in Europe, the taxonomy, the G7 got together and created TCFD. This gets to be an alphabet soup. TCFD, Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure. Meanwhile, you. you guys in the UK created Carbon Disclosure Project, CDP. That was a yeah. bunch of kids. You know, Paul Dickinson had some gray hair. But basically, it was a bunch of kids who said, let's send out to the Financial Times 500, 500 biggest companies on Earth, a little survey. What's your carbon footprint? As you might imagine, initially, the companies ignored them. Yeah. Kids were backed by institutional investors with originally about 3,000, excuse me, $3 trillion. It's now over $100 trillion net worth backing CDP, saying to companies, actually, we do want to know what your carbon footprint is if we are going to invest in you. Yeah. And as Tom Kurnak, who ran North American CDP for a while, said, when you're backed by that kind of money, companies can ignore you for a little while, not forever. Now, essentially every large company on earth reports to CDP. TCFD said 
CDP reporting, is TCFD compliant? That right. along came EFRAG, this European financial regulation approach, then um, science-based target initiative, SBTI, yeah. and TIs, yeah. came up with GFANS, which is of all of them the worst, uh, uh, Global Financial Alliance for Net Zero, then uh, the Institute of Chartered Accountants of England and Wales put forth IIRC, uh, yeah. International Integrated Reporting Committee. Meanwhile, in the US, we'd created Global Reporting Initiative, GRI. Then here in the US, a guy named uh, Bob Eccles at Harvard said, if we want this stuff to get actually put into the DNA of a company, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has to require it, the SEC. The SEC yeah. requires that investors report what is material, which is to say a reasonable investor would consider it a, an omission if it were not reported. So Bob yeah. got his buddies at Harvard to start writing articles showing that various aspects of behaving more responsibly to people and planet are material, i.e., you do it, you get increased financial performance. Now, the yeah. folk at GRI jumped up and down and screamed and said, but you're leaving out a lot. Bob said, yes, I am. And if we're going to get the SEC to require it, we have to prove it's material. So Bob created SASB, Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. Two years ago, SASB and IIRC merged and created ISSB, International Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, now headed by Emmanuel Faber, who had been the visionary CEO at Danone, implementing regenerative agriculture. Yeah. This stuff is now starting to be required to the point that the big accountancy firms are starting to approach people like me and saying, help, how do we have to train our people what all this stuff means. ESG, what's ESG? Environment, what's it even done for? <laughs> what it really is, is risk minimization and profit maximization yeah. in, a, in a world facing crisis. It is simply good financial behavior. So now you have in, <laughs> in my idiot country, these 19 attorneys generals in the Southern states saying, to their state pensions, you cannot put your money with companies like BlackRock that have made a commitment yeah. to ESG. I mean, that's just financially stupid. So BlackRock I just hear about that. billion dollars last year. They also gained 238 new billion dollars into their ESG funds. Gandhi once said, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. We're in the fighting stage. I think, do you know what that, we are going no. to win. It's a question of how hard are we going to make it on ourselves. The longer we leave it, yeah. the more people die, the more people are miserable, the more you will be miserable because when you get it right, you have a higher quality life. The sooner we do it, the sooner we'll get on with capturing all of the benefits, financial, environmental, social, of doing this transition for a world that works for 100% of humanity, as Buckminster Fuller called for. 
And again, we know how to do it. Doing it is more yeah. profitable. We're just making it harder on ourselves every time we delay. And it's time yeah. for ordinary people to say, okay, enough. And we're seeing yeah. this now in France. Macron said, oh, uh, if we have all these old people and we don't have young people working and paying into the system, our pension scheme is going to break. So y'all have to work more years. Yeah. And you're seeing riots and you're seeing police crossing the line to join the protesters. This yeah. is <laughs> this ought to scare the snot out of any politician. You lose your police power, uh, you've lost. We've, and we've said, let's have this conversation around maybe we should all work a four-day week. Yes. Maybe we should work less. Maybe we, th there is plenty of money. People freak out. Oh, God, there isn't enough money. Yes, there is. Sovereign governments pay their debts in their sovereign currency. Now, the mm. EU has a slight challenge here because they have a fiscal union, but not a monetary one. So yeah. the, the EU, the European community, is going to have to step up and do what the United States did. Remember, we used to be a bunch of different republics. Some of us still think we are like the Republic of Texas. You're right. <laughs> but if Mississippi goes broke, yeah. what happens? Washington pays for it. We all pay for it because we're a monetary union. And so the euro is going to have to become part of a monetary union if the EU really wants to get serious about all this. Y'all in, uh, in Britain are going to have to get over Brexit and realize you're part of a world community. But we know the way forward. Yeah. Yes, it will be disruptive. <laughs> Hint, not doing it will be even more disruptive. Absolutely. And, and you know what? I think just the, the energy and the way you're talking and, and kind of that, let's just get on with it i mean i was I was hoping the b word wouldn't come up but yeah brexit was was you know it certainly wasn't a young person's vote essentially i was, was in the uk the the night of the election do you know what the morning of the results i was at an airport and we were going out to um uh ibiza i think and it came through and me and the girl my, the girlfriends were just like utterly shocked and we spent the following day in spain saying sorry to everyone just go i'm sorry i'm sorry it wasn't us it wasn't us but I think the whole the whole element around this in, in terms of the, the options, this kind of, you know, a global living wage or, you know, if you're going to use the commons in terms of resources, then there should be a we are all dividend shareholders, et cetera, and, and all of those things. Then, yeah, I, I, I like the way that you, you, you kind of talk about individual action as well as. You know, even here in the UK, we I think it'll be 70 by the time I retire. It's already gone up twice now. It's 67 at the moment. Um, so, so, yeah, but I'm not going to retire. So I don't want to. This is I, the work that I do. Yeah, I actually when thought you about it. I had a little uh, set on the board of a, uh, of a little company which exited happily. <laughs> this astonishing amount of money dropped into my bank account. It's like. Oh, stock options. Wow. I learned something. I sit on all these nonprofit boards, sit on for-profit boards. They have stock options. So my husband was after me 
you could retire. Like, huh, yeah. I could retire, ride my horse, watch an eagle fly. And, and I added it up. Everything I'm doing, is it enough? Mm-hmm. Writing, consulting, lecturing, teaching, traveling, is it enough? No. Do I know what enough is? No. No. This was literally about a year ago. So I was going through this thinking process. And if I don't, then why go down the road? Why burn jet fuel? Stay home. And the the guy who put together Now Partners asked if I would come and do a set of gigs in Munich, Rome, Assisi last June. Sure. Leaving to head to the airport, I was thinking, this may be my last trip. If I'm going to retire, I'm not going to go down the road. Yeah. And I kind of idly wondered to myself, will I ever again find something into which I can pour all of me? Yeah. And if I'm going to hang up my spurs, the answer is no. That was a bleak thought, but I thought, dig your head out. You've got a job of work to do. Go serve Walter and you can whine when you get home. Life is what happens to you when you're planning to do something else. Get to Munich, um, sit down with a guy that I had actually had, I'd fought him for two years as part of a big UN project. Self, before you go to war, Google somebody. (laughs) If I had, I would have learned that he's a great proponent of regenerative agriculture. (laughs) We had a a necessary two years fight. Oh, no. Um, But uh, having the chance to sit down and talk. He pitched me on an idea. Well, that's big. And I thought, that's too big. I have no earthly idea how to do it, nor do I know anybody who could. In the ensuing two or three days, we had a chance to spend a lot of time together. And I thought, I think he can do it. Yeah. So in the middle of Italy, he asked, uh, would I join him? And I said, yes. So I'm not going to retire. Love it. I'm so glad because actually, um, I, you know, we need we need a couple of trillion of you um, in terms of that. There kind are of, a couple of trillion of me. Actually, know, no, eight, eight billion of me. The eight, well, there's eight million of you, yeah, but we need billion. we need lots more like you. Listen, before we go, one last question. Um, I asked this to David, so it'll be interesting what you say. Out of the five pillars that we talked about, poverty, inequality, gender, food, and energy, if you could solve one, now we know they're all interconnected, right? I know that. But if you could solve one tomorrow, which one would you solve? Energy, climate. Okay. And with, with and a subset of food, if because the solution to the climate crisis is one, Stop using fossil fuels. Stop emitting. You do that largely through energy. Uh, you take the work of Dr. Mark Jacobson at Stanford, Dr. Christian Breyer out of Europe. Both have shown we can power the entire world with renewable energy. Earth for All said the same thing. Everybody who's looked at it says the same thing. We can power the entire world with renewable energy. So you cut the carbon emissions. You then do regenerative agriculture to pull the excess carbon out of the air, put it in the soil. Climate problem solved. In the process of doing that, you start implementing many of the other solutions that are listed in Earth for All. 
We solve the climate crisis or we run out of time as a human species to be able to solve these other problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gutierrez, the head of the Secretary General of the United Nations, has said, code red for humanity. We are up against the climate crisis. So let's solve that one. We will learn in solving that one how to implement a lot of these others and then we can all go worry about uh, which pub has the best beer. <laughs> well, beer. being British, I'm always going to argue that we have the best beer in the world. So I think we have more pubs per square mile than anywhere else. Well, we used to. Um, well, listen, Hunter, thank you so much for your energy and your contribution today. It's been absolutely awesome. I, I do hope we get to, to stay in touch. So thank you so much for coming on. I've really enjoyed it. Truly my honor. Go talk to a politician. I am. I will. <laughs> See Enjoy. you. So that's it. You've made it. The show's over. Thank you for being with us. I hope you've been able to take something away, maybe solve a problem, or just know you're not alone. Here's hoping it made you smile with a few laughs along the way. Please feel free to find me on all social media channels, and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just search the Road and Morale podcast. Have an awesome day and see you next time.